Amen. That's exactly what we want to have around here. Walls broken down and spirit come alive. And uh, I know that's why you are here. So I want to say welcome to First Baptist. Welcome those of you in here in the worship center, but also to those who are in the venue service. That service starts today, so a special greeting to them as well. We've had people praying over those grounds this morning, last night, been preparing for that, and so we are so excited for that. Also welcome to those who are listening online as well. If you have a bulletin, take that out, because in your bulletin you will see an outline of a new series that we are in. We just started it last week called How Do I Respond When People Say? And what we're doing is we're looking at the views that um, come from culture, the views of what Christians and Christianity are like, misrepresentation or not. These are common views. Like it or not. These are common views about uh, Christians or the church from those outside the church. And so the question I'm going to be equipping you with or asking and hope you equip you with answers with is, how do I respond when I hear some of these things? And so the viewpoint that we're looking at today is the thought, how do I respond when people say, those Christians, they are so judgmental. In fact, on the back of your bulletin, I think uh, if you have a bulletin, you want to flip that over to the back side, you'll see the different topics that we're going to be talking about. Next week, why are Christians uh, accused of being so homophobic? And then uh, the following week, um, why do we not allow women's rights to choose? That's talking kind of specifically about abortion. And then uh, why do we claim that um, all other religions are wrong? And so I, I know you're going to be interested in that. I hope that you'll bring someone to come, but I also hope you'll come with a learning spirit because that's what we're into today. Um, so is it fair to say that Christians and the church are judgmental? As I mentioned last week, many of these perceptions may have come about from one bad experience in a church or maybe news scandals that report upon a Christian or a church or maybe how the media portrays Christians. Uh, I don't know how much television shows you watch. My wife and I really, we probably watch less and less than we ever have, but I remember watching a number of years ago a, a show that we watched uh, a number of times, and, and it seemed as though they, they always tried to portray the Christian with, with kind of this the spirit of a, being a prude and a killjoy and, and just kind of the one who was ridiculed in the office place. Or maybe it was the Christian who kind of was behind the megaphone, would go out and stand on the street corner and be judgmental towards people, turning people, God hates you, turn or burn, repent. And, and what is sad by some of these depictions? Because really, that's the only depiction that some people have of what a Christian is. What is hurtful about these uh, depictions is that it, it has caused the church or Christians to be known more for what they're against than for what they're for. And let me say that again. Our culture knows Christians and even Christianity more for what we are against than what we are for. And so I guess the first question I'd like to ask as we kind of clean up our neighborhood and our area of the woods... How are you known by others? How do others know you? Think about that for a moment. In your different social circles, maybe in your family life, maybe it be at uh, work or with your closest friends or your school or with your neighbors, what do people think about you when they know that you're a Christian, when they know that you attend 
First Baptist Church. When I was in high school, I, I wanted my witness to be as good as it could be. And I didn't always reach to that level, but um, I was an athlete. So I played sports, uh, football, baseball, and basketball. And, and sometimes those were the guys who would go out and, and do the wild things or party on the weekends. And I just decided, you know what, that's not really what I want to be involved with. And it became a little game for some of the athletes to think, hey, let's see if we can get Stahl to go to a party this weekend. Let's see if we can bring him in. And it was, it was actually kind of common on the football field that when someone dropped a four-letter word, they would say, sorry about that stall, and I just kind of wave over like, hey, it's all right, no problem, not not against me. Um, In fact, our coach, our coach would fine people for the swear words that they would use and then use it at the end of the year to help pay for the trophies and the plaques that he paid off or gave to the people from, from, you know, the the words that they used and the fining them. Um, And the coach at the end of the year told me I had a fine as well. He said, he said, I know you didn't say it, but I know you thought it about me. And I thought that was probably true. I, I, I probably did. Um, but as I said, there were plenty of times when I messed up my witness. But, but it, in high school, I wanted to give a sense of joy. I wanted to give a sense of being different. I wanted to give a sense of, of knowing more what I was good at or, or good for rather than being negative in a lot of different ways, which is what a lot of people can come portrayed as. But I, I wanted to be careful to walk that fine line as a Christian. Because sometimes it can also go the other way and kind of be the, the force that kind of, you know, pushes people back or maybe repels them when you're trying to be too much of a goody two-shoes. And so, so, you know, we walk that line in this world. So what do people think of you when they hear that you're a Christian? Or when they hear, hey, that person loves Jesus. What do they think of you? Interesting, you can go do a Google search online. I did it this week. And I typed in the phrase, why are Christians so, and let the Google search finish the line for me. I was hoping that would be saying, why are they so kind, or why are they so loving? But it finished off with a number of suggestions, which were, why are Christians so mean? Why are they so obnoxious? Why are they so hypocritical? Why are they so judgmental? Why do they hate gays? That's what the culture believes about many of us, you and me, and the church in general. I told you last week a little bit about a a poll that I had seen. This week there was was another one, and you can find so many different polls online, but but this one was between, uh, people polled between the age of 16 and 29. And it said, in the poll it said, 87% of people view Christians as being judgmental. Another 70, 70% view Christians as being insensitive. Another one had you finish the, the line, and it said, uh, what do you think of when you hear the word Christian? Number one thing at the top of the survey, they hate gays. They hate gays. And like I said last week, how is it that the best message ever given, ever told, is reduced down to that? How did so few end up speaking for so many of us in the culture? How is it that that the world knows more about what we are against than what we are for? I'll tell you why. Because Satan's working overtime at this. 
And he's working hard to discredit your testimony and your witness and mine as well by putting things in from the culture and just having those blow up in people's faces. I'll tell you about another um, organization that is really, really peculiar. Some of you may have heard this um, church. It's a church in Topeka, Kansas called Westboro Baptist Church. I heard about it probably five, six, seven years ago. It's been on the news a number of different times. Um, they um, uh, protest many things. In fact, Matt, go ahead and, and show some of the things. Um, you know, just to get that out, they, they, they show you're going to hell. They thank God for the dead soldiers. Oftentimes, they'll, they'll protest at a, um, a, a funeral of a military person. Um, they will protest gays. They'll protest Jews. They'll protest uh, politicians, military funerals, picket celebrity funerals, public events, uh, Catholics. Um, the, the, many of their members will stomp on American flags, flying the flag upside down on the flagpole. And this gets broadcast throughout America. They have a schedule of their picks. In fact, a number of years ago, how I became familiar with it was they were going to send out a delegation to come picket um, in Sacramento at some, I think it was a funeral of a military person uh, for what they were against. And the harmful part of that, did, did you catch the name of the, of the church? Westboro Baptist Church. Doing some research on it, though, they are not affiliated with any Baptist church denomination. They're on their own. That's just what they call themselves. They're from 1955, and, and they're still existing today. And, and, and those kind of pictures, especially this one is the one that hurts me the most. A young child. God hates you? You're going to hell? Is that the message that's in here? Is that the message we want to portray? Is that the message? It is the message. I'll tell you this. It's the message we have to overcome, unfortunately. It's really a message that we have to overcome because when the broadcast gets a hold of it or it goes on the Internet, then the few poison it for the many. And, uh, of course, as I said, we're no more for what we're against than what we're for. And yet we come today, I'm hoping, to break that stereotype. And I'm hoping you're more aware of the stereotype that has been put upon us so that when people think of us, they don't think that we're judgmental or negative, but rather, like it says in Galatians chapter 5, that we're the ones that have the love and the joy and the peace, peace and the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the gentleness, the faithfulness, and the self-control in our lives. That we're the ones that aren't judgmental, but as it says in Ephesians chapter 4, we, we don't talk with unwholesome or corrupting talk, but we speak and we build others up as the verse says there on your outline. Or out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, that we live a good, quiet life, minding our own affairs, working with our hands, taking care of ourselves. And, and, and as we do that, we walk before the outsiders and given a good representation of who Jesus would want us to be. In Colossians 4, it talks about being wise towards the outsiders, being grace-filled, being gracious, seasoned with the salt. That is the gospel and the spirit. That's what we want people to sense and to know and to feel and to think of when we think of First Baptist Church, when we think of, when we think of Christianity, and when they think of you as being a Christian. And maybe, just maybe, when we do those things, those things will speak louder. When we do have to address sin, or we do have to speak up for what's going on in the world. All right, let me give you the strangest illustration I've ever given to you, okay? This is kind of a crazy, um, 
uh, video, and uh, they're going to go ahead and put it up here on the screen right now. Um, it's uh, called, um, yeah, yeah, kind of interesting. Bubble sports are, are a new uh, craze. Um, you play this within the protection of a bubble. Like, I mean, can you imagine, like, turning on the TV and uh, the Raiders or the 49ers are playing in something like this, right? I mean, can you just imagine doing like that? Uh, they can do all sorts of different sports, uh, be it soccer, be it football, be it uh, whatever it may be. Um, kind of fun to just watch them just kind of crash into each other, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Go ahead and cut the video because... Um, What does that have to do with anything that I'm talking about today? Let me help you with this. If the verses that we just read, the love, the joy, the peace, patience, kindness, no no unwholesome talk coming out of your mouth, quiet life, win respecting of outsiders. If those could be what people see first, if those kind of characteristics could be that bubble around us, that when we bump into other people, maybe even sometimes crash into other people because of what we have to do in this world, if that could be the first thing that they feel or sense or hear, then perhaps people will be more open when we do have to address sin or not come across as so judgmental. If they would crash into that bubble of love, and that's what I hope that you will sense when you walk out of here and when you have to deal with some situations or whoever you interact with, that there would be that bubble of love that would protect you and protect your witness, and that would be the thing that people would sense first, even when you have to speak up on certain things. So let's talk about this. Do we judge people? Should we judge people? How do we address people in situations where we should. In fact, the question that I posed to you was this. It's on your outline. Should Christians point out the sin of others and make judgments? Well, let's look at this. The verse that gets quoted the most often when this subject comes up is in the book of Matthew. And so if you have your Bibles, you want to flip over to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew 7, Jesus is doing some teaching, and here's what he says. He says, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, when people talk about, oh, judge not, you'll hear that. You'll hear that in the, I heard that this week on the newscasts. Judge, don't judge others, take care of yourself, don't judge. We have to look at this in a bigger context. So the message that is being spoken here from Jesus is actually all the way back to Matthew 5. It goes Matthew 5, 6, and 7. If you have red letters in your Bibles, you'll see that Jesus is speaking throughout this passage. What it is commonly known as is the Sermon on the Mount. And throughout this passage, Jesus is is taking the task, really, the hypocrisy of the religious leaders of the day. And so you can see that very specifically in Matthew 6 and verse 2 and in verse 5 and in verse 16. He is calling the Pharisees for what they are. He has sensed that there is a foul odor coming from the lives of some of these religious leaders um, and, and where there should be a good aroma of God. And yet they're representing God in a very bad way. And so they were judging with a critical spirit. 
And they had a condescending spirit when they did it. And it was all based upon their own opinions and the wrong motivations. And so Jesus is calling out the judgmental attitudes because they're casting this judgment without caring for the person. And so that's some of the background of some of who Jesus is talking to and talking about and trying to correct. So does this mean that we shouldn't call out people's sins? That's the question. My answer to that would be this. It really comes down to a heart issue. In what spirit you do this. Because here's the point. Throughout the scriptures, we are told to get involved when someone is in sin. That is, with other believers, with other Christians, with other followers of Jesus who are involved in in sin. That's the key. Hear me on that. It's the call to do that with other believers. In fact, flip over to the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. You can probably keep a finger here because we'll jump back here uh, a few different times today. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul is addressing a church that is morally decrepit. Well, the culture for sure is. To be known as a Corinthian was to be known rotten to the core. And so certainly some of that has seeped into the church. And look what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. He said, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. Even the culture does not go this far. And then he lists it. For a man... Has his father's wife? And you are arrogant about it. You are proud. You're, you're, you're almost self-serving. You're, you're, you're showing an arrogance that should not be. He says, Ought you not rather to mourn over what you're doing? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit... And as, it, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. So when you're assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our uh, Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Okay, well, so what's going on here? What he is doing is he's saying, exclude them from your church exclude them from your fellowship in the hopes that it might bring repentance to them. In the hopes that he might figure out what he is doing is wrong and not be proud and arrogant and think it's correct, but to exclude them from the fellowship so that they um, will know that and be brought to repentance. So Paul is taking a public stand on the issue of immorality within the Corinthian church, and he's calling sin, sin with people who should know better. People should know better. So I'm going to call it out, he says. You shouldn't be going down this path. And he's doing that within the church with, with brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, look at what it says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. Paul does the same sort of thing here. Where he's saying, you know what? Even Peter, he, 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 was, he was wrong in this situation. When Cephas or Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. He, he, he missed out. He's taken a public stand on the issue 
Uh, and he's saying, um, he's correcting Peter about teaching where he was off. And it says clearly, even in the NIV, I believe it talks about that, clearly he was off. So here's the key. The Bible says that, yes, we should judge or call out sin in other people's lives. But it doesn't just say that's what you should do, go do it. It also tells you how to do it. I don't want anybody to leave here right now and think, hey, I got the message. Good, I'm just going to fire away. Uh, 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 we're only halfway done here. Tells us how we're supposed to do this as well. And so flip over to Matthew chapter 18. Again, we see a teaching from Jesus in Matthew 18. And as you're finding that, let me um, address the backside of your outline and give you a couple of principles. A little rectangular box at the top of the outline. Here's what I want you to know. When you should judge or when we address sin. Number one, make sure we're not being um, and making subjective opinions about sin. But rather we're using the Bible as the guide. Use God's word as your guide. And look out for the gray areas. We don't want to go down the great areas. In fact, a good phrase to remember here is speak where the Bible speaks, but be silent where the Bible is silent in judging others. It's a good principle. Maybe it doesn't apply all areas, but in general, that's a good principle. Speak where the Bible speaks, be silent where the Bible is silent in these areas. In Galatians uh, chapter 6 talks about this and how to do that because we've got to be careful of how we do it. We'll get to that in just a bit. But the second thing I want to look at is this is that we should only address or judge if our motive is to restore the person, not to hurt them. Let me say that again. When we have to address or judge someone within their sin, only do it if your motive is to restore them, not to hurt them. And even restoration can happen from saying we shouldn't be associated with one another at this point, wanting to bring about that restoration. But the key there is wanting to bring about that restoration. So let's jump now to Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 through 17. And I want you to think again of the video that I showed you and the bubble of love that needs to come around us as we do these things. Here's what Jesus says. He says, uh, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. In other words, you don't need to be broadcasting this to everybody else. You don't need to get, oh, you know, he, here's what he did, and I'm going to get a little fire on that, and here's what he did, and I'm going to get a little fire. Just go to the person and say, hey, um, seems as though this has happened in your life or maybe you've done this even against me maybe you didn't know it or maybe you do but let's talk about this and scripture says that when you do that one-on-one if they receive that then terrific you have won them over you have gained your brother good back in good standing secondly though because that doesn't always just happen says in verse 16 but if he does not listen Then take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. In other words, if you don't see eye to eye, just uh, you to them, then take some other people with you so that they can also give proof of what has been going on. Now, I want to warn you, it's not a good idea to take your mother with you. 
Not a good idea to take your best friend with you. They're going to want to say what you want them to say. They're going to want to affirm. Of course they're going to see it your way, and the other person will see that as well. And so you want to bring someone that they respect and someone that you respect, someone who can be fair in their judgment and help bring about this restoration as well. So you do that with people who are respected. Third part, though, because if that doesn't work, which oftentimes it does not, it says, if he refuses to listen to them, this is verse 17, tell it to the church. Does that mean we come up here on Sunday morning at 930 and you get to just air something out with another person? No. But perhaps if you have a community group, perhaps if you're in a Sunday school class, perhaps if you're even in an area where you have a number of people who are going to be affected by whatever has taken place, you need to bring it to them because gossip can happen and people can talk. And, that, and let's get it all aired out amongst the people who are affected by this circle of people. That is the church. And explain and come to a conclusion of what should happen. Lastly, if... Um, if you refuse to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, then treat him, be as you would, a Gentile or a tax collector. Which means to exclude them from your fellowship. Which means to not meet with them. Which means to keep your distance. Which means um, you don't need to talk for a while. But let me say this. How did Jesus treat the tax collectors? He loved him anyway, didn't he? So you can love someone, but you might just say, right now, we're not seeing eye to eye. We're doing more damage for the kingdom. And so maybe we need to have a little bit of separation within our fellowship, within our circle. But you can still love them as much as you can. Now, flip back over there to Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. It's on your outline. It's a shorter verse. I'll just read it real quickly. You can see it up on the PowerPoint. Brothers, sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, any sin... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of, what's the word there? A spirit of what? Gentleness. Bubble of love. A bubble of gentleness. That they run into that first. That they see that you care for them. That they see that you love them. Be gentle, be kind, even as you're doing this. But keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. So do we have full authority? Just to judge everybody. In fact, I asked the question there, second to the last um, line there on your, on your bulletin. What about judging those outside the church? What do we do there? Well, in 1 Corinthians 5, verses 12 and 13, Paul teaches the Corinthian church that there is a difference between judging other Christians and those outside the church. Hear me on this. There's a difference between judging other Christians and those who are outside the church. Here's what it says. 1 Corinthians 5, 12 and 13. For what have I to do with judging outsiders, says Paul? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. 
purge the evil person from among you. And he goes back to the issue that is of hand, saying the one who is in the church who should know better, put him outside the church for now, hopefully bringing repentance. But in the midst of this, he gives us a principle here. It's not our responsibility to judge those outside the church. We have a responsibility to judge and to correct those inside the church, but God is the ultimate judge for those outside the church. And hear me on this, and hear me please clearly. We cannot expect someone who doesn't have the Spirit of God in them to live as though they do. If someone does not have the Spirit of God in them, if someone does not have these godly values, and someone does not have this to attain to, then we can't call them out on things if they don't have that Spirit in them, and that's not what their goal or, 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 or their lordship is. But when they do... That's when we come alongside them. That's when we love them into the fellowship. That's when we help them along. In fact, let me give you a couple of instances, a couple of examples. Um, A couple weeks ago, we had what we call Next Step Sunday here at First Baptist. People getting involved with ministries. We had a bunch of tables out there and hoping that you get involved and and minister uh, in different places. And so we had people sign up for different areas. One of the areas that we had was, was being an usher. Let's, um, let's say that someone said, okay, I want to be an usher. Let's even say they got trained by our team, and they came on the first Sunday, and let's just say it's a, it's a female usher, and let's say that she wore very revealing clothing. And as she would see people, it was very distracting, and it was hard for people, and she would walk by, and people's minds would go one way, and it was very distracting to everybody in the congregation. In that kind of a case, our leadership needs to step in and address that situation. But if someone comes here for the first time and wears that same clothing, again, for the first time, it is not your right to tell them how they should dress because they have never been in church before. It is not your right to tell them that that's wrong, you shouldn't look like that. I am just glad they are here. Amen? And when God's Spirit gets a hold of them, then they will begin to notice, oh, maybe I shouldn't dress that way. Maybe that causes my brother to stumble. Maybe I should dress differently and more uh, uh, in a way that honors God. God will work on their lives as the time goes on. So let me, let me rephrase. Bikinis in the balcony? Okay. Okay? Bikinis passing out bulletins? Not so good. All right? Is that fair enough? Fair enough? Okay? Okay? Speedos in the congregation? Okay? Speedos on stage, disturbing. Very, very disturbing. All right? We don't go there. We don't go there. Okay? See, you don't know where their faith is or if they even have a faith. So don't sit in the chair of judgment and condemnation. And we've had this here, even within the last few years, that people have said, well, I don't like those kids coming in with those baggy pants and those hats that go sideways and that disrespects them and the tattoos on their arms. It just doesn't look right. That's not what kind of church we are. Hogwash we're not. We are a church that takes anyone into the fellowship. And if the Lord speaks to them differently than the Lord speaks...
We don't judge people as they come in. We don't know if they have a faith. We, we, we don't go down that road. And as time goes on and the Spirit speaks to them, then the Spirit will speak. Now, there can be gray areas in this as well. So that's why I said, be careful where the Bible does not speak. I mean, a number of years ago, we came across a card playing issue. Do we play cards? Is that okay? Is that not okay? Uh, what, what about alcohol? Is it total abstinence? Or can you have a little bit of wine? At a, at a, at a, what about dancing? Ooh, dancing within the church. Whoa, uh uh-oh. You know, I used to go to weddings, and even was a pastor, performing weddings. And I think, you know, I I can't dance because I'm the pastor. And and if I dance out there, now now someone could get offended. Well, you know, that doesn't matter to me. If my wife want to go out there and dance and bust a move and cut the rug, we'll go out there and do that if we want. (laughs) However, however, uh, when I do that, people really do get offended because I can't dance. So, I, I don't know why, but that's just, yeah, it's the way that is. White boy moves is what I got. So, let me say it this way. There is a difference in the church and in the world in our culture. Okay? So, let's talk about the sins in the culture. Do we just turn the other way with, with blatant biblical sins like, let's just put it, homosexuality or same-sex marriage? Do we just look the other way and not do anything about it? No. I, I'm not saying that. Please hear me. No, 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 no. When blatant disregard for Scripture crosses with an agenda that people have, an agenda that is being pushed, then we have to stand our ground. And we'll talk about that a little bit next week. How do we stand our ground on that issue and yet still be loving? Remember the bubble of love, okay? We still want that to be the thing that runs into people when we have to address sin or, or, or even in the culture when we have to stand up for what we believe. We hope that they receive the bubble of love first and foremost. It's just sad that um, the thing that comes across in the media is that, well, then you all hate the gays or the homosexuals. But that's not what it is. It is a righteous anger that we have towards a sin that the world says is okay, and now our country says is okay, and yet God's word says is not. I mean, Jesus, yes, Jesus says turn the other cheek. But when you have a loaded shotgun up against the other cheek, you might not have another cheek. So you can't just always do that. Jesus had a righteous anger when he came into the temple. And when he cleared the temple and turned over the tables. And the sad thing is, though, is that we live in a culture that gets angry at the things that don't matter and doesn't get angry at the things that do matter. Save the trees. I'm all for saving the trees. We want those trees, right? But kill the babies? Yeah, that's our culture. That's our culture right now. And so how do we address that? How do we get at that? How how do we still give the the bubble of love when we share what we share? Let me get back to the general uh, context of having a negative or a judgmental persona, which which can be true of some people. In fact, let me throw this up on the screen. Um, I'll go this very quickly. This is commonly known as the bridge illustration, where we see that in a world of sin, we have God on one side and us humans on the other side. And so there's sin and there's separation that separates us from the peace of God, the forgiveness of God, uh, of sin and eternal life. And uh, go ahead, Matt, show the next part there. We've often talked about how Jesus is the only way. He died for our sins so we can be rectified with God again um, and so we can be in relationship with him. Um, Let me give you a little further diagram on what this though looks like. 
And here's the, the first two kind of chasm that's in place of the sin. Let me go back one, though. Because unfortunately in our culture today, we have another hurdle that many people have to get over before they even come to hearing the message of, of God and of Christ. And that is the perceived wording or thoughts or, or um, uh, teachings of religion and even Christianity. That's why you are in place. That we need to help people bridge that. Go ahead, Matt, and show uh, that we're the ones who need to help them take their step. I think the word is, Matt, go ahead and show that. Is Matt there behind? There we go. We need to be the ones to build trust. We need to be the ones to help them overcome some of those misconceptions so that then they can come to a place of hearing about the grace that God gives to them. And wouldn't it be awesome if we helped Christians not to be viewed as judgmental, or as negative as the world may seem, or as mean or insensitive, but that people first thought, when they hear your name, or when they hear the word Christ, or when they hear the word Christians, or when they hear the, about church, hey, isn't that, isn't that the loving community that serves in Mexico and builds an orphanage down there for kids? Isn't that the, the, the church that goes down to Costa Rica and to Kodiak and to Haiti and drills wells in Nicaragua and does work for the underprivileged? Isn't that the church? And aren't you a part of the people who go out with a group on Saturday mornings called the Breakfast Club and feed the homeless? Hey, aren't you a part of those people who, who help the divorced and the hurting and help save marriages and strengthen marriages? Aren't you a part... Don't you stand up for the, the children um, who are unborn and help at the Pregnancy Help Center and support them, the Gospel Rescue Mission, and even work with some of the ladies at the circles of service as they cut bandages and send those overseas to nurses and doctors and missionaries who need those kind of things? Wouldn't it be great if that's what they thought about when they think about you, when they think about church? And we are the generation to do that. We're the people to do that. We're positioned to do that and do that well here in Stockton. Because First Baptist, I believe, has had a good name for many years. And yes, there are some churches that go the wrong way and take the wrong turn and have scandals. And that. We're not a perfect church by all means. But I think we stand for God's truth, and we also do it in love because we reach out to the community and help them as well. And so during our, our prayer time and the last song that we're going to sing here, I, I just want to allow you to do a little business with God. Even as we've shown kind of this diagram here of, of maybe helping people to take and get over and building trust, maybe you haven't seen that in your life as something that you've needed to do. Perhaps, perhaps maybe even you've had a judgmental attitude. And maybe you want to just take a few moments to lay it before the Lord. You can do that in your seat, or we're going to open up the altar as well. There'll be people down here. If you want to pray with them, you can. If you don't, if you just want to pray on your own, sometimes just coming forward just helps you take that step to get it right. Perhaps, um, perhaps maybe you need God to just break your heart a little bit more for the lost, for those who can't get over that hurdle and that step to even hear the gospel message. Or maybe, maybe you've been at odds with someone, and you need to hear God's voice or someone to pray with you to just take that step to get it right. Or perhaps you just need more of God to fill you up. And so whether you be here in the sanctuary, whether you be in the venue, there'll be crosses in the back of the, of the gymnasium as well. Whatever that is, however the Lord leads, now's business time. Take a few moments to see how this applies to you personally. Let's pray.
Father God, may we be a church that lives out your teaching. Even when we get it wrong, Lord, we can still ask for forgiveness and do it in a spirit of humility. Lord, when we need to stand up on your word and on your truth, may people run into the love and the gentleness that your word talks about. And so, Lord, in these next few moments, may you just convict our hearts. May you edify us. May we be empowered by your spirit to live in this culture where we walk a fine line. We want to stand for your truth, but we do it with incredible grace. So, Lord, may you speak to us now as we hear your voice.